Welcome to Club Core, an interdisciplinary podcast exploring science stories. I'm your host, Dr. Angel Core, an assistant professor of neuroscience at UNC Asheville. Each episode of this podcast is created by undergraduate students enrolled in one of my courses. So join us as we delve into a variety of topics with one simple goal, to get it less wrong. I'm Stevie, I'm a senior at UNCA, and I am studying psychology with a minor in neuroscience. Mm, nice to meet you, Stevie. Yeah, nice to meet you. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I should introduce yeah, myself. Who are okay, you? I am Zach Attack Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shake your head at me. Ew. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a biology major, a senior graduating in December with a minor in neuroscience. Cool. I'm Sarah Montgomery. Nice I to meet you, am Sarah. a. Excuse me. Um, I'm a senior majoring in psychology with a minor in neuroscience, just like Stevie. Oh, mm-hmm. well, thank you. It's nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. <laughs> We've never met. Oh, so so you're probably asking yourselves, um, you know, what is psilocybin exactly? Well, psilocybin is a naturally occurring psychedelic that is found in mushrooms of the psilocybin genus. This drug has been criminalized since the 70s and typically has a bad reputation in the Western culture. However, psilocybin has been around for quite some time, and Stevie here is going to take us on a little historical adventure I've cleverly called Tripping Through History. Some of the earliest evidence for inducing hallucinogenic trips through mushrooms dates all the way back to 1000 BCE. There have been individual discoveries around the world, anywhere the genus grew naturally. So around Australia, Central America, and North Africa. Um, There's also a lot of evidence of the importance of psilocybin in Mayan culture. They actually had their own word for it, which was Tian Nankatal, meaning flesh of the gods. So they had temples to worship mushroom deities. And to them, it was celebrated and used as a tool to connect and communicate to divine powers. But this did start to change in the 16th century when Spanish colonizers came to Central America. Of course, um, their attempt to socially control every aspect of the Mayan culture also intruded onto their religious practices. And because they didn't understand what the Mayan people were doing, ingesting this Tianan Catal was kind of considered devil worship. So there's actually a quote that I found from a Spanish priest who was witnessing some of these ceremonies. The first thing to be eaten at the feast were small black mushrooms, which bring on drunkenness, hallucinations, and even lechery. They ate these before the dawn with honey. And when they begin to feel the effects, they begin to dance, some sang, and others wept. When the drunkenness of the mushrooms had passed, they spoke with one another about the visions they had seen. Um, So you can see how it had really important cultural implications for them. Using psilocybin to induce trips made its way into U.S. popular culture in around the early 1950s, when two scientists, Wasson and Heim, published an article about their experiences tripping under a shaman in Mexico. The article was published in Life magazine, and since then, the first synthetic psilocybin product was created 
1958. And that's really when you saw the introduction into Western culture. And of course, it did become part of counterculture in the 60s and 70s. But in 1971, synthetic drugs were officially considered a Schedule One drug during a UN conference making them punishable up to a year in jail or a $5,000 fine. However, we will get into the legality of mushrooms a little bit later. Uh, that's interesting that you mentioned the UN conference from 1971. Mm -hmm. uh, fun fact, uh, this conference in 1971 was one of three UN conventions that actually, you know, began the international criminalization mm -hmm. of the non-medical use of drugs. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it was the last one. Well, it was, the, it was the middle one, actually. Okay. Yeah. So... Like I said before, mushrooms from the psilocybin genus contain the compound psilocybin. In its natural state, psilocybin is inactive, but once inside our bodies, we metabolize it into the compound called psilocin. Uh, this molecule is capable of activating many neurotransmitter receptors, uh, primarily the serotonin type 2A serotonin receptors. So what's so special about this receptor? Uh, well, Stevie, there are many different types of uh, serotonin receptors. Uh, we currently know of seven receptors that are widely distributed within the brain, and each type has uh, different signaling pathways, and they can have either like excitatory or inhibitory effects. Oh, fun fact about serotonin receptors, actually. The highest concentration is in your GI tract, your gut brain. Oh, my gut brain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know, in this case, we don't hallucinate with our gut brain. This is true. Uh, however, um, these uh, serotonin type 2 receptors have three subtypes. There's an A, a B, and a C. For hallucinogens such as psilocybin, it's the 5-HT2A receptor that is associated with the neuropsychological effects. This receptor is spread throughout the brain, but the highest concentration is located in the neocortex, uh, the hippocampus, the thalamic nuclei, and you know different nuclei within the midbrain. The serotonin uh, type 2A receptor is in our brain and can be found on both excitatory and inhibitory neurons within our brain. This means that serotonergic hallucinogens like psilocybin can stimulate certain areas while inhibiting others. It creates this disconnection within our brain that stops lateralization but increases you know, activity within certain parts. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, yeah, this unique ability to function in this manner is what many researchers hypothesize creates the psychedelic experience hmm. and the effects. Unfortunately, uh, there are many different hypotheses for what causes the ultimate effects of serotonergic hallucinogens. All the models can really agree on is that there is a diverse and dynamic effect that is induced by these hallucinogens. So, the term psychedelic means mind manifesting. And it's the term that the scientific community has adopted for hallucinogenic drugs like psilocybin. These psychedelics produce what we call altered states of consciousness, which manifest in alterations in our sensory perception, our mood, perception of reality, and our sense of self. Uh, this term, altered state of consciousness, was coined by Arnold Ludwig in 1966 and is comprised of three primary dimensions of the psychedelic experience. So the first of these dimensions is what we call the oceanic boundlessness or OBN dimension. Uh, this dimension reflects what we would call the positive side of tripping, including feelings like insightfulness, experience of unity, spiritual experiences, blissful states, uh, you know, pretty much everything that we would label as the mystical experience. On the other hand, we have anxious ego dissolution or AED dimension. This dimension consists of feelings of anxiety, impaired cognition, loss of self-control, and disembodiment, often referred to as ego death, mm. and commonly referred to as... Bad trip. 
The last primary dimension is the visionary reconstructualization or VIR dimension. Uh, this dimension is where we experience the hallucinations and alterations in our perception, which includes changed meanings of percepts, uh, vivid recollection of memories, complex imagery, and elementary imagery. Are all three of these dimensions part of every single trip, or are they just explaining the possible experiences? They're pretty much just explaining the possible experiences. What they really offered is, you know, by creating these altered states of consciousness, like definitions, they allowed researchers to develop a method that could reliably measure the structure of psychedelic experiences felt by various individuals. Okay, so what does this mean for the experiences of the person taking the drug? So, have you ever seen the movie, like, 21 Jump Street? Yeah. Yeah, you know, Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum. Um, For those of you that have not seen this movie, there's a scene where they take the drug FHS. And after they take it, they go through various stages of hilarity while tripping. And while their experience is uh, fictional, there are similarities when taking psychedelic drugs. Primarily the fact that the psychedelic experience is a dynamic process that goes through different stages, which progress over time with increasing arousal or ego dissolution. So what's the biggest factor affecting the time and intensity of each of these stages? Uh, Well, the most important factor that affects the progression experience would be the actual drug dosage and then the route of administration. Hmm. You know, there are also many non-pharmacological variables that play a role, but they are less impactful on the experience. Um, So things like your personality, the expectations you're having, uh, your mood at the time, uh, and the setting that you're in also play a role. You know, if you're going to trip, make sure you're in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good advice. But, you know, you should also know before tripping the legality of the situation. Exactly. That is really important to note. So, like I was saying earlier, in the U.S., psilocybin is officially a Schedule One drug, which was made official in 1971. So what this means is that they are extremely addictive and have no recognized medical uses at least according to a definition by the DEA. Um, How do you feel about that, Sarah? Well, I think it should be researched medically, and it may not be accurate to classify it as Schedule 1. Throughout the 1950s, the potential therapeutic effects of psychedelics were being studied in the U.S. and Europe. Like Stevie said, after psilocybin was banned in 1971, clinical research to evaluate the medical safety and efficacy of psychedelics was halted until the late 90s and early 2000s. So they went a long time with no research. After the Controlled Substances Act became law in the U.S. in 1970, the main agency responsible for funding psychedelic research, the National Institute of Mental Health, or the NIMH, stopped funding studies interested in determining their therapeutic potential. Along with the NIMH eliminating its funding, getting approval from the DEA to have controlled amounts of psychedelics, even if for clinical research, became nearly impossible. So while the U.S. was dealing with changing legalities surrounding psychedelics and debating these decisions, the CIA began a secret project called MKUltra, set out to identify avenues of mind control to use for interrogation. MKUltra focused on the use of psychedelic drugs, primarily using very high doses of LSD. The MKUltra experiment, along with its negative consequences for unwilling participants, is part of the reason there is so much hysteria surrounding the use today. Today, there is a large contrast between the perceived risks of using psychedelics and the actual biological risks. The difference between perceived and actual risks, I think, are very important to note, as serious side effects from psychedelic uses are fairly rare, while alcohol directly contributes to 88,000 deaths per year in just the U.S. Federal law does not explicitly list the various species of mushrooms containing psilocybin. Psilocybin is now decriminalized in Denver and Oakland, California, 
In both Denver and Oakland, this effectively means that psilocybin is decriminalized, making possession, use, or personal cultivation a low-priority crime. A measure legalizing psilocybin-assisted therapy is likely to be on the ballot in Oregon in 2020, and activists in California are attempting to do the same. Based off the definition of a Schedule One drug, it doesn't really fit. The part about not having any current accepted medical use, current research would suggest otherwise. There are dozens of studies published from European countries which support the efficacy of psilocybin to treat anxiety, especially in people with terminal illnesses, people with treatment-resistant depression, addiction, alcohol dependence, and much more. Some supporting evidence I found focused on high-dose psilocybin, which did produce a large decrease in clinician and self-rated measures of depressed mood and anxiety, and it was also found to increase quality of life and overall optimism. But an important thing to know is that these changes are sustainable. At a six-month follow-up, the effects were still seen in about 80% of the participants who did attribute their improvements specifically to their Another study I found focused on alcohol dependence, where 10 patients were provided psychosocial treatment with motivational enhancement therapy for four weeks, and then they received their first dose of psilocybin, which I think is important to note as well. They're also receiving um, motivational enhancement therapy as well as getting like the Like along drug. with psilocybin. Yeah. So it's not just like they're having random trips mm-hmm. throughout time. It's structured and organized. And so they received two doses four weeks apart, and all the patients reported a significant decrease in alcohol use post-psilocybin administration. And the percentage of drinking days decreased by 27%, um, as well as the amount of heavy drinking days that they had. That could be pretty significant. Yeah, especially um, what we know about how difficult it is to not relapse. If Mm -hmm. there's any other potential for therapeutic effects, I think it's worth being studied. For sure. Um, And as far as high addiction potential goes, it's not believed to have a high abuse potential. One major national survey published by Science Direct indicated low rates of abuse, treatment-seeking, and self-harm. Although there is not much information about the specific drug mechanisms, so this is definitely an area for further study. But based on available research, we know it doesn't fit the definition of a Schedule One drug as it stands. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we know the science surrounding the use of psilocybin, um, Sarah's going to weigh in on the spiritual effects. So I believe an important component of psilocybin use to consider is the spiritual and therapeutic effects it can have on an individual basis. Studies show that psilocybin can have a positive impact on people's perception and overall mental well-being. One of the most famous scientific experiments with magic mushrooms was the Good Friday or the Marsh Chapel experiment conducted under Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary was a really famous um, psychologist and writer who advocated for the exploration and therapeutic potential of psychedelic drugs back in the 1960s, 70s. So the experiment showed that psilocybin was able to reliably produce a mystical experience in a majority of the people who took it, with many participants claiming it was among the top five most meaningful experiences in their life. According to a survey, psychedelic drug users place a greater value on spirituality and concern for others than financial prosperity. People who participated in other studies suggested that 60% of healthy volunteers reported sustained personal meaning Many who have taken psilocybin have reported increased well-being, interconnection, and a renewed appreciation of nature and life itself. It is nearly impossible to convey the variety of experiences one may have when using psychedelic drugs. 
Like Zach said earlier, some people who experience ego death do not enjoy their experience, while some experience the oceanic boundlessness dimension and report a pleasant experience and increase well-being after tripping. Things like personality, expectations, mood, and setting play a role. So like Zach said, if you're going to trip, make sure you're in a safe environment. So where do we go from here? Indigenous peoples have recognized the benefits of using magic mushrooms for thousands of years. Modern science is only now beginning to consider that psychedelic experiences can immensely impact people's perception and happiness. In recent history, many scientists and psychologists are advocating for the regulated use of psychedelic drugs. One of these advocates is Michael Pollan, who has written books and been involved in many podcasts discussing the use of psychedelics. Michael Pollan says in an article, Studies have demonstrated that properly administered, a psilocybin journey can have enduring positive effects on the well-being and relative openness of healthy normals, as researchers put it. So that just basically means everyone. Pollan also says, I look forward to the day when psychedelic medicines like psilocybin, having proven their safety and efficacy in FDA-approved trials, will take their legal place in society, not only in mental health care, but in the lives of people dealing with garden-variety unhappiness or people interested in spiritual exploration and personal growth. He says, we should keep this in mind in the years ahead as we work on figuring out how to make the most constructive use of these, quote, astonishing gifts of nature. So, guys, what are your final thoughts? I mean, I I think Mike Pollan said it best. Um, You know, the hope is that within monitored clinical settings, you know, psilocybin can be administered to consenting participants. And then... you know, evaluate more on its like potential therapeutic effects, mm-hmm. and and hopefully, it eventually, we'll be able to like de-demonize the reputation of hallucinogenic substances like psilocybin. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that there's such a potential of untapped medical benefits mm-hmm. from this drug, and it's so important to focus on this research and continue it so we can have accurate scheduling. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of just fear of the unknown. Yeah, we I should so. find out. But that wraps it up uh, yeah, here at uh, Club Core today. Yeah. Have a great day, guys. Let's all thank our overlord, Dark Current, your Dark misguided Core. minions. <laughs> <laughs>